0: Last time my son and his family visited us, he told his four-year-old, our grandson Talon, to tell grandpa what his favorite story in the Bible is. And he said to me, it's Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. And what's funny about that is if you have been a student of, of mine at the seminary, you know that I teach my students that the book of Jonah is not about a fish. There's much more to it. But for four-year-olds, it's a great story to talk about a fish swallowing that prophet. And when he said that to me, I said, that is a great story, isn't it? And it, it really is. The only problem is for some of us that have heard this since we were four years old, is that we haven't got past the four-year-old understanding of the book of Jonah. And we still think about it as a great story about a prophet being swallowed by a fish. But there's so much more to this. And as we look to Jonah chapter one, there are at least four elements that we might observe. We see an immediate rebellion, indifferent seclusion, inadequate submission, and inescapable dominion. And so first, the immediate rebellion, we see this right away in verses 1 through 3. Notice it says here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, who was the Lord's prophet. And I think that uh, anyone that's read the Bible for any amount of time kind of takes this statement for granted because we see this quite often where it says the word of the Lord came to the prophet of the Lord, whoever that prophet was. And we're used to reading that. It's not a big deal to us. It doesn't stand out. And not only do we take for granted that statement, we also take for granted that the prophet will receive God's word and preach it to those to whom God has called him him to preach that message. But when we look in the book of Jonah, we see that Jonah was the exception. Jonah did receive the word of the Lord, but instead of obeying that word, he rebelled against it immediately. And Jonah did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. He told him to go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction as far as he could think of going to get away from God and what God had called him to do. And I think as believers today that we can often take for granted this phrase, the word of the Lord came, because we can take for granted the fact that the Lord, the word of the Lord has come to us and that, it, that it's available to us. I, I think about how easily we have access to God's word. Um, I... Uh, with uh, the years passing by, my eyes are just really terrible. They're, they're bad in both directions. I can't see distance very well, and I can't see near very well, and they just keep getting worse. And so I do all of my teaching and, and preaching my, with my Bible here on my iPad. Uh, on one of these days, it's just going to have one word on each screen as bad as my eyes get, but I, ca- I can at least blow it up big enough to where I can read it. But I think about not only access in that way, um, I can hit a button on a certain app and I have probably 60 different translations of the Bible that I have access to. I can't read them all. Some of them are in foreign languages. but But we have so much easy access to the Bible and also to preaching and teaching of God's word. We can go on several... Um, apps and, and just press a button and put in, I want to hear like Jonah 1 and, and a slew of people teaching from it and preaching from it. And, and I don't think there's any time in history that, we, that there has been a civilization that has more access to the word of God than what we do. And yet, what is important is how do we respond to God's word? And that's really, really important. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13, the Bible says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Jonah brought a lot of trouble on himself because he despised, he ignored, he rebelled against God's word when it came to him. And the question comes to us, what do we do with God's word when it comes to us? Do we rebel immediately or do we receive it and obey? So why did Jonah rebel against God's word? Well, it might have been fear. I mean, the Assyrians... Nineveh was the capital of of the Assyrians. Actually, it was such a vast empire, they had three different capital cities, believe it or not. And Nineveh was just one of those. But Nineveh was the administrative center of the nation. And uh, here it is that God is calling him to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. And I don't think there's any people group in all of history since ancient Near Eastern history that has had more written about them talking about how terrible they were and, and, and how they did unspeakable things to their enemies when they went to war. And uh, just, just really terrible things that you can read about. And, and I've read uh, different uh, historians about it. I've read even inscriptions of some of their leaders and it's just, just horrific the things that the Assyrians did. And so they were a wicked people. And perhaps he was afraid that if he went and preached the message of judgment to these Assyrians in Nineveh, they might do unspeakable things to him, the same kinds of things that they had done and were known for doing to others. And so that might have been his issue. But nowhere in the book besides the fact that he doesn't go, does it really show that Jonah is afraid of going to Nineveh. So maybe it wasn't fear, maybe it was perhaps his sense of justice. Because the Syrians were so wicked. And because they were so terrible, they deserve God's judgment. And Jonah, I think he was on to God. I mean, if God had decided that he was going to wipe out Nineveh, why send a a prophet to tell them? If God's going to wipe them out, Just wipe them out. There's no need to send the prophet to say something to them about it, because if they're not going to listen, they're not going to listen, so wipe them out. But no, Jonah knew this, and he actually says this in chapter 4. He knew that God was sending him to preach that message because there is an opportunity for Nineveh to hear the word of God and do what? Repent. And if they repent, he knew God would not wipe them out, that God would relent of his judgment against Nineveh. And he didn't want to see that happen. He didn't want to see Nineveh get off from his point of view scot-free from all the horrific things that they had done and were doing, no, they deserved the burn, they deserved to be destroyed. And so he didn't want to go. And it's not just really his sense of justice that's the problem. What really his problem is, is that he has a problem with God. That's who his problem is. Because God is willing to send, and not just willing, but but willing in the sense that he's going to do this. He's going to send a prophet to warn them and he is willing to forgive them if they repent. And he's like, no, they do not deserve this. Now, you might think Jonah just didn't like preaching a message of God's compassion and mercy to a wicked people. That would not be true. In 2 Kings chapter 14, God called Jonah, the son of Amittai, to preach to the wicked king of Israel, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was exceedingly wicked. It actually says that there in 2 Kings 14. And the people of Israel were exceedingly wicked. And yet God gave Jonah a message to preach of God's compassion and mercy and blessing upon them in spite of of their wickedness. And you know what? Jonah had no problem preaching that message to his own people. His own people were wicked. The scripture makes it very clear, exceedingly wicked. But he had no problem preaching a message of God's compassion. They did not repent. They did not turn away from their sin. But God still showed compassion to them because God is a compassionate God. And Jonah was okay with that. Because after all, they're the people of God. We're, we're the good guys. We're good people. So we kind of have this, this coming to us because we are the people of God. And one of the things that Jonah had problem, a problem with God with um, his decision to send him was that it just made no sense that God would show compassion to these wicked of the wicked. It made sense to him that he would show mercy and compassion to the people of God, even though they were wicked, but they're the people of God and they're his people. And if, if we're not careful, we can begin to think that we know more than God does. Oh, we would never say it that way, would we? If you've been in church as long as I have, and mom told me that uh, I was born on a Thursday, she had me in church on Sunday. I'm sure I didn't miss many when I was inside her before that happened as well. And so, I've been in church my entire life. I know how we do. We we wouldn't tell God, God, you don't know what you're doing. No, 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 we'll never approach it that way. We'll just say, God, we really trust you. We know you're wise. But don't you think you should do it this way instead of that way? I mean, why why don't you listen to me and let me tell you what is right and how things should be done? And we have the audacity to tell God what his business is and how he should do things. And... We don't get it, and we then, then when he doesn't do things the way we want, we can start to kind of whine and complain to him. Why do you allow me to go through all these things? Why don't you do something about this? Why is all this happening to me? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me, and here nothing is happening the way I think it should go. And what happens to us The truth is we are put out with God because he doesn't do what we want him to do. And he does things sometimes that we don't want him to do. And life is not what we hoped for. We hoped it would be peaceful. Abundant, After all, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm not seeing that. And at best, we're disappointed with God because God isn't, isn't doing it in the way we thought he should do it and at the time we, we think he should do it. And, and there's at least disappointment, but the truth is we're a lot like, more like Jonah because in Jonah chapter four, it really shows where he is. He's truly angry at God. He's not just disappointed. He's angry at God. In fact, in chapter 4, it says he was exceedingly angry at God because God did things in a way that was different than what Jonah thought he should do it. And if truth be known for many of us, there is this deep down in us constant seething animosity toward God that will occasionally rear its head when things get really out of control and we're upset with God because he doesn't comply to our expectations of how he should do things in this world. That was Jonah and it comes out of Jonah. He thought he was wiser. He thought he had a better sense of justice. And this is the case for us. I mean, we look at people today in our world, unbelievers, and we say, you know, they need, they need to burn. They deserve God's judgment. They have it coming. Look at, look at all the terrible things they do. All the terrible things, our world, what would it be if, if they would just, if the world would just be rid of them and things could be right and they don't deserve God's mercy. You hear how weird that sounds? Who deserves God's mercy? Mercy is given to people who don't deserve God's goodness. That, that's withholding punishment from those who deserve God's punishment. See, here's, here's what happens with me. I'm sure it's none of you. But what I think of sometimes is this. You know, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as that guy right there. I pointed at Gabriel, by the way. I did that. I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as they are. I mean, look at all the stuff they're doing. But isn't it interesting what the scriptures say? And I'm reminded of a woman one time years ago that says, I don't care what the scriptures say, I know what I believe. What a problem that is, because I think there's plenty of us that are like that woman. It stuck in my head when I heard her say that years ago. Because many of us are this way, but you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that when we are guilty of trespassing, of breaking one of God's commandments, we are guilty of the whole you're looking right now at a person who, according to God's word and God's assessment of me, you're looking at a murderer. You're looking at one who's guilty of adultery, of theft. And by the way, I am too. I'm looking at the same kinds of people, according to God's word. And by the way, is there something about my sin that's, that's not as egregious as those unbelievers' sins so that... When Jesus died for me, it really, I mean, I guess he had to, but it really wasn't, he didn't really have to, because I'm pretty good at it already anyhow. But those people, oh yeah, they have sinned and they deserve this, this judgment. And yes, Jesus had to die because of how egregious their sins are. Let me tell you, Jesus died for my sins and your sins because they are egregious and offensive to God. And we receive mercy and what that means is he has withheld punishment on us and taken it upon his son, but we deserved it because of our sin. And so does every sinner. And so when we look at the lost and we say, no, they deserve to burn, were it not for the mercy and grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we would all burn. We would all burn. And it has nothing to do with anything we've done ourselves to attain to God's mercy and grace toward us. It is mercy and grace, you see and deserved has nothing to do with it when it comes to us. And those who have received mercy all through the scripture, we see this in the Old Testament. Jesus makes this very clear in his teaching, his parables, that those of us who have received mercy ought to what? Be ready to show and demonstrate mercy to others. That is what It means to be the people of God. And so what we're like when it comes to unbelievers sometimes is very, very different. You see, we see also here when Jonah gets on the boat, we see an indifferent seclusion and in different seclusion. What, the, what does that mean? In verses four through six, look at verse three, though. At the end of three, rather. It says, Jonah found the ship, paid the fare, and went down into it. Verse five, Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. Jonah found a place away from the unbelieving sailors and kept to himself and took a nap. He wanted nothing to do with these unbelievers. I mean, he did the least amount he, he had to. He gave them their money, but he went off to himself and said, just let them do the, their thing. I'll keep to myself and do my thing. I don't want anything to do with these people. And that's who he was. See, one of the problems I think that we, many of us believers have today is we treat people like that, who are unbelievers. We just rather not hang out around them. We, we just, and we tell ourselves, well, I, I just don't want to be corrupted by their sinful ways. Well, that's not all of it usually for us. Really what we do is we treat unbelievers like they're lepers in ancient times. Lepers were banished. They don't want anything to do with them, keep them away from us. But I'm reminded of how Jesus treated lepers. Jesus didn't keep away from lepers. He reached out to them, loved them, healed them, and saved them. And if we're going to treat unbelievers like lepers, then let's treat them as Jesus treated lepers—that they are people who are in need of a savior, and there are people who are in need of the people of God to love them and care for them. See, it matters. It's one of the things I love about our church—is love the bill because it's, it's going out in the community and saying, we know you're here and we love you and we're out here with you and we care about you. When you look in the boat with Jonah, do you realize that all the sailors were working for everybody else? They were all working together to save one another and even to save Jonah, even though Jonah had nothing to do with them. And what's more, even when they found out that they they were in peril and they were about to die because of their situation, it was because of Jonah. Jonah was the reason all of these terrible things were happening to them, and do they turn on Jonah? Do they blame Jonah? Do they say terrible things about him? Are they ready to kill Jonah? No, they row harder to save Jonah. It is a terrible thing when unbelievers act more like believers than believers do. When they show more concern for us than what we show for them. And it is the picture that we see here of his indifferent seclusion He was indifferent to their plight. He wanted nothing to do with them because he was a Hebrew who feared the Lord. What an irony. What an irony that we see in this. And it's not the only irony we see in this book. But we see his seclusion. This is not like the people of God. And then what we also see here is an inadequate submission, an inadequate submission of Jonah. Jonah realized the storm was from God. He knew this. He told the sailors this. God has sent this. And it's come for me. God is after me. He realizes that the the sailors are going to die with him if uh, the boat goes down. But he, he knows this, that if if he would just give his life then it would be over with and at least these sailors lives would be saved and a lot of people want to say well isn't Jonah like Jesus Jonah was like Jesus what he wants to do is give his life to save these unbelieving sailors well Jonah really wasn't that much like Jesus maybe just A little bit, but not that much. Because when Jesus came, he said this, no one takes my life, but I give it freely. And when Jonah was at the place of losing his life, was this by his choice? No, he was running from God. He came here because of his sin. Jesus, when he came to die, he came without sin and lived without sin. Jonah was pressured into making a decision when everything was about to go down. No one pressured Jesus. He says, no one takes my life, but I give it freely. So he's not really like Jesus. And in fact, he is ready to die And that sounds like a noble thing that he's ready to die and save the lives of these sailors, but it's not the best option. We act like there's only two options. What are the options? Stay in the boat, everybody dies. Or Jonah gets pitched overboard, he dies, and everyone else is saved. There's a third option. You know what the option is? Repent, repent, Jonah repent. Say, God, I've I've sinned against you. And I repent of my sin and I turn away from my sin and I will do what you called me to do. That's the option that should have come forward. But no, 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 no. Jonah wasn't willing to do that. And Jonah knew to do that. And he, he shows us he knows that because he quotes from the Lord himself in Exodus 34, in chapter four, of Jonah, and says, you are a compassionate God. You are ready to forgive. He knew this about God, but, and that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want God to forgive them. But you know what? He really didn't want God to forgive him either. He would rather die than live in a world that God was doing what he didn't want, him, want God to do. It was Jonah's way or the highway, or the low way, we might say, going into the sea. But he would rather die than do that. He said, I quit. And by the way, in this little book of like 88 verses, something like that, three times Jonah says, I'd rather die, just kill me. I would rather die than see what you're doing, God. And this is how we can be. We quit. God, if I can't have my way, if you don't do, what, do things the way I think they should be done, I quit. And Jonah was running from God, but some of us, we're better than Jonah because we can run from God while we're sitting down. We can hear God's word and be given his call upon our lives and say, no, 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 that's not for me. and. And we quit. I'm just not going to do that. Or something else we can do is we can think of, you know what? I can do something that's good, just not exactly what God told me to do. But look at what I'm doing, Lord. This is pretty good. And we can try to negotiate. Like, look, I'm giving my life for these people. This is something, isn't it? But I'm not going to go where you tell me to go, God but I'll die for these people. That's pretty good. That's really good. I mean, I deserve to die, but that's beside the point. And so this is the attitude of Jonah. What is wonderful, Jesus says this in Matthew 12, that he was a greater Jonah because he did everything right. When the Lord told him to go, he went. And he said, my meat, my food is to do the will of my father. And this is the true example we need to follow as we look to the scriptures. I think about Jonah as well in this chapter as it ends, the inescapable dominion of God. Inescapable dominion. God has dominion over everything and no one can escape it. Jonah was seeking to flee from God, but God was in complete control of everything that was happening. And um, I think of the statement, you've heard this, you can run, but you can't hide. That's really true when it comes to God. God. Here's, here's another irony in the book. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want God to show compassion to these unbelievers. And so he runs toward Tarshish and gets in a boat with unbelievers. And guess what? God uses Jonah to bring salvation to the unbelievers in the boat. So God still used Jonah to be a blessing to unbelievers, even when Jonah didn't want to. But here's the difference. God is going to do what God is going to do. The difference is whether or not you or or I are going to be joining in the work that God has called us to do and, and enjoying the blessing of being what God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do. Or on the other hand, we can be like Jonah and just be angry and mad and upset and have no joy and just miss out on the blessings of God. How many of us this morning are more like that? The Savior whose food and joy was to do the will of his Father. That's what we've been called to. That's what Jonah was called to. But so many of us, we can be a lot like Jonah. And one of the greatest losses that we can have is when we fail to obey God's word and do what he's called us to do. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Lord seeks unbelievers. You know what else, though? Here's the good news for us today who are believers. He doesn't just seek unbelievers, sinners who are unbelievers. He he pursues sinners who are believers as well. And that's the message of Jonah, that he's seeking after Jonah, his own child who's unwilling to do what God has called him to do. He doesn't let him die. He sends that fish to save him and he gives him an opportunity to to move forward and he continues to work with him to be faithful to him even though Jonah is unfaithful to, to the Lord because our God is a merciful, compassionate God. And he continues to show mercy and compassion to us Even as believers when we can become self-righteous and arrogant and think I'm not like those other people, just like Jonah wasn't like those other people. But God knows our hearts, but thank God he is compassionate and merciful to us. When I was a kid, this is a strange story I know When I was in that four-year-old Sunday school class, my teacher taught us several songs, and we just had hymns that we sung back then, old hymns. And we'd come in Sunday school each morning, each week, she'd ask us, Miss Miss George was her name, little short lady, um, elderly, kind of humped over, and she'd say, what song do you want to sing today? And when she'd ask me, mine was always this song. Comes from Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy. That was my song when I was a kid. That's my favorite song. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you know what? That's true for every believer because we need mercy because we deserve what every sinner deserves, but God is a merciful God. And he is in pursuit of us, even in our sin, even in our waywardness, to bring us in and lead us and to make us more like his son. I think the sailors, as they ended in verse 14, as the passage ends, they say, you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. May that be what we understand. The Lord does as he pleases. And what he pleases to do is always right. May it be on our hearts and our prayer that as the Lord does what he pleases, that we would take pleasure in what pleases him and that we would be the people he's called us to be. Let me close with four questions for us to think about. One, What is your immediate response to God's call upon your life? What's your immediate response? You know, delay is not obedience. I have a feeling those of you who are parents, you tell your children to do something, you want it done then. How much more the Lord with his children? So, what is your immediate response to God's call upon your life? Number two, how are you actively involved in communicating and showing the love of Christ to unbelievers? What are you doing purposely to get involved in the lives of unbelievers? That you might be a light to them. To show the love of Christ. To live that before them. And when the opportunity presents itself to cherish the gospel and the good news with unbelievers number three are you satisfied with compromising god's call upon your life to serve him or are you fully invested in answering his call to service we can compromise as i said before doing good is not good enough if we use it as a substitute to do what god has called us to do we need to be fully invested and God's call upon our lives? And finally, are you submitting to God's dominion over your life or rebelling against it? I think of our Savior. I'm really glad this is what he did. When he was in the garden and he was facing the cross, aren't you glad he said this? Father, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus saved me, I was eight. I heard the gospel preached and I, for the first time, I realized that he was my substitute. He died for me and that it was for my sins. He took my sins upon himself. And it, it hit me as an eight-year-old that, Jesus, if you died for me, which you did, then I'm going to live for you. Because that's all I can do. You died for me. I'm going to live for you. And every time I think of Jesus saying, not my will, Father, but your will be done, I understand that that's what I've been called to as well then. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. The Bible gives us wonderful examples of godly people. Jonah's not one of them. Because sometimes... The Bible also gives us examples. We see this in the New Testament. In fact, when the New Testament uses example, it's usually a negative example it uses in the Old Testament. But the Bible gives us negative examples. And Jonah helps us see what we are often, but he points us to Christ and points us to what Christ has done and also what Christ has called us to be in him. And so, may that be our prayer, that we would not be a Jonah, but that we would truly seek to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, even for negative examples that you give us, because it reminds us that all of us, we fall short And we are in need of your mercy and grace. And all of that, all of that comes together in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the salvation that we have in him. Father, I pray that we would learn these lessons and that we would see past Jonah and look to the greater than Jonah, Jesus And that as we receive mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, that we would be found to be merciful and gracious to others who need Christ. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.